morning, everybody. Hey, raise your hand. Raise your hand for me if you slept less than eight hours last night. Raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand for me if you slept. Can we turn the lights up a little bit just so I can see? Raise your hand if you slept less than five hours last night. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Raise your hand if you slept less than three hours last night. All right. And I don't even want to know. Raise your hand if you didn't. Is there anybody who didn't sleep last night? Where's that person? Is there anybody? Praise God. Praise God, you guys. Praise God. Hey, are you guys having a good weekend at camp so far? Okay, I I got a question for you, and and it's this. Have you ever had a moment where everything was going perfect, where everything was great? Maybe in a relationship, maybe in a season of life, maybe in athletics or academics. Have you ever had a season, a moment in life where everything was going perfect until it didn't? Until something happened that changed the direction for you. I remember when I was in uh, the fourth grade, I was in uh, Mrs. Mayfield's class. And and Mrs. Mayfield, the way she structured her class is she would move around our seats every month. So at the beginning of the month, we would be sitting with a group of people around a table of four of us. And then every month we would kind of rotate around. And so on this one morning, I remember walking to school. It was the first Monday of the month. And I go to my desk, and I look for my name, and I sit down. And then sitting across from me is a girl named Brittany. All right? Now, not, not here. Before you judge me, this is before I met Sarah. Okay? No one's ever topped Sarah. This is before I met Sarah. I'm a fourth grader. Brittany is sitting across from me. And Brittany was the coolest girl in school. Like, she was so cute, she was so funny, she was so awesome, all the guys liked her, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting across from Brittany. And so we're kind of talking and getting to know each other a little bit, and things are great, and the first couple weeks go by, and our conversations are getting better, and I just remember thinking, man, this is really special, and then something, something miraculous happened. Brittany initiated, Brittany started to play footsies with me underneath the desk okay now I know it's been a long time I know it's been a long time since you guys were in fourth grade but once you're playing footsies the next step is marriage that's just how it works in the mind of a fourth grader and so Brittany's playing footsies with me underneath the desk and I'm telling you life has never been better so we keep talking and chatting and then all of a sudden one Friday Brittany says hey Eric do you want to come over to my house on Saturday. Heck yeah. Like, come on, you guys. Like, I, I didn't get a lot of attention from girls. This is amazing, right? So Brittany says, hey, come over on Friday. And before I could even say yes, she sweetened the deal. She said this. She said, Eric, you got to know this. Um, I want you to come over on Friday. I have a trampoline in my backyard. Okay. Yeah, I got a trampoline in my backyard. She said, my mom stocks the fridge with Capri Suns, okay? So we got trampoline, we got Capri Suns, and then she said, in the cabinet, in the cabinet, my mom has so many fruit roll-ups, we could have as many as we want. And you guys, I mean, I, I already think I'm going to marry this girl. As a fourth grader, I'm going, that's the ideal wedding reception right there, okay? Trampoline, Capri Sun, and fruit roll-up. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. So that Saturday morning, mom and I jump in the minivan, and we go cruising over to Brittany's house, and my mom and Brittany's mom are talking and hanging out, and Brittany and I are jumping on the trampoline and just having the best time ever. 
we, we go into the fridge and grab the Capri Suns, and we're eating the fruit roll-ups, and it's amazing. And then Britt needs to listen to me. She says, hey, Eric, um, did you bring your rollerblades with you? And I said, I don't go anywhere without my rollerblades. Yeah, yeah, I brought my rollerblades. And she said, okay, uh, let's put our rollerblades on, and let's go to the bottom of the hill where our mom used to have rollerblades. <laughs> so, so needless to say, I put on my rollerblades faster than I've ever put them on before. And we go scooting down to the bottom of the hill, at which point Brittany looks at me and she says, Eric, close your eyes. <laughs> Y'all, <laughs> this, I'm losing it as a fourth grader. I mean, I mean, up to this point, I'm in fourth grade. I've only kissed mom. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so I'm sitting there, and, and I, I close my eyes, and she says, Eric, hold out your hands. So I hold out my hands like this, and I start to kind of like awkwardly pucker up because I don't know what to do. I don't know. While my eyes are closed, Brittany goes back and grabs two clods of dirt, <laughs> and she just dumps them on my hands, right? She's, and I like open my eyes, and she goes, ha, 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 and just rollerblades away, right? And I was like, yeah, Brittany, go Brittany, right? Hey, yeah, yeah, lesson, girls, if you're ever in that situation, go with the dirt, not the kiss. Okay, so that's the advice. But she rollerblades away. Needless to say, it was the best Saturday of my life. And then on Monday morning, on Monday morning, um, Miss Mayfield switched the seating around. And all of a sudden, I walk through the classroom, and I'm all the way over here. And Brittany is all the way over there. And sitting across from Brittany is David. And David, David, David was the star. David was the star, like, peewee football player. He had brothers. He could bench 10 pounds. The kid was huge. I mean, he was a big kid. Big kid. All the girls liked him. And I remember, I remember, I was sitting right here. David and Brittany sitting across from each other are all the way over there. And I happen to look. And Brittany and David are playing footsies underneath the table. That's our thing, Brittany. That's our thing. And you guys, you guys, I know this sounds kind of ridiculous, but I, I got to be honest with you. At that moment, my heart <laughs> broke. As a fourth grader, I felt betrayal. I felt rejection. You know what the saddest part of that whole story? This is the saddest part of the whole story. Is that happened when I was like, I guess like nine maybe, nine, ten. I'm 35 right now. Um, that was 25 years ago. And I got to tell you, as I'm telling you this story, like, this is group therapy for me, okay? Like, I'm still working out my issues here. Like, I still got a little bit of anger, a little bit of resentment for what happened. Why? Why? Because we, catch this, we were never designed to experience sin. 
we were never designed to experience the consequences, the ramifications of sin and another person's sin spilling into our, our lives. Neither were we ever designed to participate in sin. In fact, the story, the story of how life got so messed up is recorded for us just a few chapters after the glorious story that we looked at last night. Last night we talked about how God created the entire world. That this perfect, eternal, pre-existent God, this infinite, holy, powerful God, decided, made the choice because He's sovereign and He's absolutely free. He made the choice to create. And then He decided to do something spectacular and bring humans into the world. People made in his image to experience his glory, to be an intimate, close relationship with him. And God didn't have to do this, but he chose to do this because he designed you and I from his heart of love to be in relationship with us. The scriptures say, the Bible says, the story of God lets us know that every single one of you in this room were knit together in your mother's womb. That every single one of you are known intimately by God. The scriptures say that he knows every thought that passes through your mind. That he knows every single hair on your head. Even if you're a baldy like me, he knows all of it. That God is so intimately acquainted with you because you are the object of his love. But something went wrong. Something went horribly wrong. And maybe, maybe part of you is trying to reconcile what we talked about last night. God creating this perfect world and designing us to be in perfect relationship with him. And you're going, yeah, but that is nothing like what my life feels like today. What went wrong? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Find me in Genesis chapter 3. Again, we're in the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. The story begins like this. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than all, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, a little bit of context, a little bit of background. God creates the Garden of Eden, this beautiful paradise for Adam and Eve to live in perfect relationship with him and perfect relationship with each other. He gives Adam and Eve the, the high responsibility and role of continuing to develop God's creation, to continue to care for God's creation, to live in perfect relationship with him and each other. But he did say one thing. He said, there's this tree in the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that tree, you will die. God's very honest. God's always honest. God's not keeping things from us. He didn't keep things from Adam and Eve. He said, I made all of this for you to enjoy. But there is one tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from it, you will die. And maybe if some of you are familiar with this story, you've always wondered, why? Why would God put that tree in the garden? If he loved Adam and Eve so much, why would he put a tree in the garden that could lead to their death? And it's precisely because he did love them and wanted them to have the freedom to choose to love him. 
You see, God could have chosen to make you and I robots. To, to make us incapable of rejecting him. But if he had done that, we wouldn't truly be in love with him. We wouldn't truly have the choice, the free choice to love him in return. And so what God did is he designed a whole world for us to flourish in. But he said, if you don't want me, I'm making it crystal clear. In fact, it is clear throughout all of scripture that God loves you. There's no question. Genesis to Revelation, God makes it crystal clear in a billion different ways. He loves you. But the question of Scripture is this. Do you love God? And he puts the tree in the Garden of Eden as a way of saying, you can choose to love me and obey me and follow me and trust me as your creator, or you can choose to reject me. And so the serpent plays off of that. The story continues, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. So Eve is completely aware. Adam and Eve completely understand the clarity of God's command to them and and what will happen to them. It continues, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is still Satan's favorite strategy with you and I. Is the way he wants to trip you and I up is to convince us that we know better than God. That going to this party, engaging in this unhealthy, ungodly relationship... Doing X, Y, or Z is ultimately going to give us the happiness and the joy that we're longing for. One of my wife Sarah and I's uh, high school girls who was uh, in, our, in our high school ministry at, at our last church. I remember when she was graduating, she said, look, I, I just want to go to college and I want to have the college experience. She said, I just, I just want to do what you do in college. So she said, I want to party. I want to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. I just want to do what I want to do. And we begged her to do that. I'll never forget that phone call that we received late one night about 1 a.m. She called us and we answered and we could barely hear her because she was crying like a deep crying. We said, what's going on? What's going She said, I don't know what drug I'm on. I don't know who I just slept with. But I feel dead. Satan, he promises life. Satan argues that sin will lead to life. But make no mistake about it, friends. Sin always leads to death. Ever single time story continues verse 6 when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she began to justify in her own mind reasons why god was holding out on her reasons why she believed god was lying to her she took some of it and ate it she also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Awkward, right? (laughs) So they sewed fig leaves together 
and made coverings for themselves. Friends, this is what sin is. Sin is any thought, word, or action that is disobedient to God. It's any thought, word, or action that dishonors God. It's any thought, word, or deed that dishonors another. It's any thought, word, or deed that says, I know better than what God has clearly communicated in his word. Sin is any time we put ourselves above God, when we dethrone him, when we say, God, you can take a back seat. I'm in the driver's seat. And sin is Jesus actually talks a lot about it. In fact, there's one passage in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus gives a list of sins. And this isn't an exhaustive list. He's just giving some examples. And yet, I think Jesus pegs every single one of us. He says, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, which is any kind of sexual experience outside of the context of a husband and wife. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. You see, friends, and and this, this is an unpopular opinion, but the truth is this. You and I can't decide what sin is. Culture doesn't decide what sin is. God and God alone determines, God and God alone determines what is sin because he knows best. Because he created everything and we have seen this. If you look back at the history of the world from a historical perspective, every time a group of people have said, we are going to determine on our own what is sin and what isn't sin. Usually women and children and others are hurt in the process. You see, it's incredibly dangerous to live with the mindset that I get to determine sin. Because what if your definition of sin is different than mine? What if you say it's okay to do something that would negatively impact me, that would hurt me? You see, we all are clinging to and hoping for and longing for a a truly transcendent definition of sin and absolute truth. And it's provided for us in Scripture. You see, sin promises life, but it always delivers death. And sin at this moment entered the story of the world. And it brought death to our bodies. It brought death to our spirits. It brought death to our emotions, to our sexuality, to our relationships. Everything became broken and fragmented and fractured in this moment. Friends, sin brings death to everything. Which is why I want to talk about three horrible effects of sin that we experience every single day. If you're the note-taking type, write this down. Here's our first big idea. Sin will make you run and hide. That all of us are susceptible to sin. All of us participate in sin. All of us live in a world of sin. And so the first thing we need to know about is that sin will make you run and hide. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, just the next verse. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they, let's say that again, and they, and they hid. 
They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Up to this point, they had walked with God. They had been in perfect relationship with God, but all of a sudden, once sin and selfishness entered the story of the world, what made the most sense to them was to run and hide. And friends, here's a surefire test. If you're wondering, is that thing I'm participating in sin or not? Ask yourself, am I running and hiding from God? If there's things going on in your life that you're going, and I'm not going to tell my parents about that. I'm not going to tell my youth pastors. I'm not going to tell my small group leaders. I'm not going to tell my counselors. I'm not going to open up to my other Christian friends about this. You friends are running and hiding and you're engaging in sin. And the reason this is such a big deal to God is because he cares about you. Because he loves you. Do you you know why God hates sin? Because it hurts you. God hates sin. Sin. Because every single time it hurts you, it hurts me. Now, why is it such a big deal that they're running and hiding from God? Because God designed something radically different for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, it says this, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This description of God as one, as the one who wants to be with us. You find it all over the pages of scripture. That God wants to be with you. But sin has complicated this. To help me illustrate this, I need our friends Joseph and Connor. Can you guys give it up for Joseph and Connor again? Come up here, Joseph and Connor. Okay, so... You guys, how many of you, how many of you have seen these? I never bought one until recently, but how many of you have seen these conjoined Christmas sweaters? Has anyone ever seen these? You guys seen these? Okay, here's what I need you guys to do. You guys stand up right back here. I need you guys to go ahead and first put that on for me. There we go. Go ahead and put it on. Keep your center arms down in the middle. Keep your other arms out. There we go. Oh, don't they look so good? Give it up for these guys. I mean, that's pretty cool. They look good. All right, now last night, last night, who played the God character? You played it, right, Joseph? Okay, so Connor, you get to be the God character, okay? Just for a second. You're not God. Don't let it go to your head. Okay, here we go. We're just going to play for a second. This is a picture. Now, now, this is important because sometimes when we think of the idea that God is with us, what we conceive in our minds is, oh, okay, that means that when things are really bad or things are really hard, God swoops into our life, shows up, and then almost like, like a holy Superman, he flees, he vanishes, and he's gone. And we have to kind of interact through the rest of our day and our life by ourselves until we once again cry out to God, and then he comes with us, he's with us for that moment, and then he vanishes. But I think this might be a better picture of what the scriptures mean when they say God is with us. And friends, this is true for you. That God wants to be with you like never disconnected from you. Like always with you, even in those really, really hard moments, in those really great moments, God is always with you. He's familiar with every thought that comes in your head, every word that goes out your mouth, all over scripture. It's communicated over and over again. God is with you. Now, because this is true, what God desires is that we would follow him, that we would trust him. And so pre-sin, entering the story 
of the world. Here's how it works. Connor, go ahead and start walking. And Joseph, you start just following. Just follow. So come on back over here. Come on back over here. There we go. After you, God. Did you just call your friend God? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Just leave. See, this, this is how God designed our relationship with him to be. But, friends, to give you a visual and a, and a, a picture of the reality of sin is that sin has created tension in our relationship with God. In fact, sin continues to create tension in our relationship with God. And, and here's what happens is sin says, I want to go this way. God says, I want to go this way. Go ahead and try to separate, guys. All right, let's not break it. Let's not break it. Let's not get to use this again. All right, let's not break it. Did you notice the tension? Did you see how there was, there was a battle of wills? God's saying, I want to go in this direction. Sin says run in this direction. And what that creates in our lives is tension. And maybe that's explaining some of what you're going through right now. That the tension you're feeling, those secrets that you're keeping, the double life that you're living, it's creating tension with God. And so we have to make a decision. Are we going to continue to go in our own way? Are we going to continue to run and hide from God, creating more and more tension and distance? Or are we going to obey? Are we going to trust? Are we going to follow? Can you guys give these guys a round of applause? You guys can go in there and take it off. Thank you, guys. But not only will sin make you run and hide, second big idea is this. Sin will blind you. Sin will blind you. Now we're going to jump back into our Ephesians 4 passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says this. He's talking about those who are living in the futility of their thinking, the emptiness of their thinking. They don't have a picture of who God is and how powerful he is. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Paul says here, when you harden your heart enough, when you run and hide, when you, when you continue to allow that tension and that distance to grow between you and God, what is going to happen is all of a sudden your understanding will be darkened. That all of a sudden you'll become blind to the sin that you're engaging in. And your heart will continue to become more and more hard. John Mark Comer, I quoted him last night, he said this. He said, the exact nature of Satan's lies changes from generation to generation, culture to culture, and person to person. But they always run along these lines. Distance yourself from God. Do your own thing. Redefine good and evil based on your own gut and desire. Shelley Beach adds to that. She says, evil has clung to our thoughts from Adam and Eve's first encounter with Satan in the Garden of Eden. And his strategy hasn't changed since his first seduction. Doubt God's character, his good intentions, and what he says. Put your agenda and your ideas first. Convince yourself your alternative reality is better than God's. And so sin is going to send you running and hiding, and then it is going to blind you, making it nearly impossible 
to see the reality of the destruction that you're living. Number three, sin will desensitize you. Number three, sin will desensitize you. The next verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, having lost all sensitivity. You see, you're, you're made in the image of God. God put in you a sensitivity to his voice. Ecclesiastes says that eternity resides in the human heart. That in fact, one of the reasons that I believe in God is because for all of human history, we've been talking about, does God exist? The fact that we're still asking that question, the fact that that question continues to plague us, continues to occupy us, continues to haunt us, continues to obsess us, tells me that God put that in us so that we wouldn't be satisfied with anything less. But the longer we continue in our sin, we leave all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Sin causes our sensitivity to God's voice to grow weaker and weaker. That's why, friends, I can always promise you this. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you were willing to pay. Let me say that again. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, cost you more than you were willing to pay. And this explains why for some of you, when you think about the images that you were looking at online a year ago, they seem so tame compared to what you're regularly consuming. For some of you, the, the way that gossip just rolls off your tongue, even creating lies about other people. You think, man, a year ago, I, I would have never said something like that. The selfishness that occupies your heart, the lust, the greed, the me, me, me mentality has just continued to snowball. And the reality of sin is it will keep its hold on you and it will cost you absolutely everything. Which is why my last big idea is this, and I, I, I thought of this all on my own. I think it's going to really impress you guys. You ready? You're gonna, you're, uh, this is just me. I don't know. Run with it. This is just me. Ready? Here's our last big idea. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. One of the reasons I love that song by our sister Taylor Swift is because she's honest. In fact, she's more honest than most Christians are willing to be. You listen to that song, and whether you're a, whether you're a Swifty or not, you listen to that song, and it breaks your heart. But it's powerful because she's owning up to the fact that the problem resides in her. The temptation whenever we have a conversation about sin is to immediately think about our neighbor, our friend, our parents, our siblings, our boyfriend or girlfriend, and say, oh yeah, I can so easily see the sin in them. Friends, let me lovingly say this to you. You are the problem. We are the problem. I'm the problem. 
that sin is just as much in me as it is in you. And that's a very unpopular opinion. In fact, I love playing this game. I love playing unpopular opinions. It like you find out who your people are. I'm going to share a few with you right now. I want you to tell me what you think. Here, here's unpopular opinion number one is this. I'll throw it up on the screen. Pineapples don't belong on pizza. Where are my people at? Okay. Okay. All right. All right, all right. Uh, uh, unpopular opinion number two is this. Unpopular opinion number two is, and these are mine. These are mine. I own these. Mario Kart is better than Super Smash Bros. Oh, this is great. This is great. I see a boo. Dude, I still love You're a sinner, but I love you. I love you. All right. All right. Next unpopular opinion is this. Unpopular opinion. Let's go to the next one. Mint chocolate ice cream is disgusting. You guys, last night, last night when we were in the snack shack, there were like three or four of you. We were having this conversation, and you guys were all Mint fans, and I instantly felt you were like, we are choosing to reject you, Eric. Like, we are done. I get that. I get that. All right, I think I have another one. I think I have another one. Okay. Raising Cane's is better than Chick-fil-A every time. Yes. Yes. Every time. All right. Now, hold on. All right, two more, two more. This is the next one. Here's the next one. The mile run in gym class is a good thing. Yeah. It's good. It's good. All right, now hold on. Before we put up the next one, before we put up the next one, I recognize I, I, I saved this one for the last, because for the end, because I, I'm going to lose almost all of you. Like almost all of you. I, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not. I, I think a lot of you are going to be done with me. At the end, but I just got to be honest. I, it's an unpopular opinion, but I got I to gotta be honest. Here, here's my last one. The movie version of a book is always better than the book itself. They're walking out. They're walking out. They're what? No, no, no. Now, before you, hold on, hold on. Before you call me a heretic, this doesn't include the Bible, obviously. Obviously. Now, here's the thing. Students. Students, all right, we can take those off now. Can I share with you another, another unpopular opinion? Is admitting that we're sinners. In 2023, it can be construed as being toxic, as being harmful. There's all kinds of labels put around this, but it is an unpopular opinion, but a very important one that we embrace. That we are sinners, loved sinners. We'll talk more about that tonight. But that our sin, get this, if you don't get anything else, get this. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin, my sin, your sin, separates us from God. And here's what happens. And here, here's the devastating news. And that's why you got to hang with me till tonight. Because here's the devastating news. Your problems, your sin, your struggles are too big for you to overcome. They're too weighty. They're too devastating. 
your sin, your struggles are too big for you to overcome. And on your own, Satan is too powerful. His temptation, the sin that he has you entangled in, it is too much for you. But as we'll see tonight, not for Sin will promise you paradise, but the reality is sin is prison. I remember when I was a junior high student, I loved to skateboard. That was my whole life. And because I was pretty good at it, I was skating with guys that were a lot older than me. And through those relationships, I began to smoke weed. I began to drink alcohol. I began to engage in all kinds of things that were so devastating and so destructive. And I, I went to church. I wasn't a Christian, but I went to church. Do you know those two things can exist? You can go to church and not be a Christian at the same time. I went to church. I had this double life. But I would go to bed every night after the buzz or the high had wore off. And you know what I felt? I was living in what Paul said, the futility of my thinking, the emptiness of my thinking. James said in chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Sin always leads to death. Now let me just ask you this question. Here's where we're going to close. And I want you to really think, in fact, I want everyone to close their eyes right now. And in a few moments, you're going to be dismissed to head back into your cabin tent. And I want to invite you to have a really honest conversation about what sin is going on in your life what are you struggling with maybe what have you not shared with others up to this point what is it that is separating you from God creating distance between you and God maybe think about these questions how is sin dragging you away from God and are you tired of it leading you Friends, this is not about generating some kind of shame. This isn't to make you think that God's holding some grudge, because make no mistake about it, and we'll make this crystal clear tonight, God does not hold grudges. God hands out grace. But in order to experience His grace, we have to come face to face with our brokenness. So with every eye closed, I, I invite you students to think right now, what sin, what sins are separating you from God? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth. That you love us enough to make it clear to us. I'm the problem, it's me. But you didn't turn your back on me. I turned my back on you. 
God, I pray that every single one of these students would have the boldness, the courage, the bravery to have some really tough conversations in a few moments about what's actually going on in their lives and the sin that's separating them from you as we anticipate what you're going to do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.